so, so great to have you here. Kind of the last, what we see is kind of spring summer before, or spring gathering and service before we jump into the summer season here. Excited about the next couple weeks. Also excited to have some things to share with you over the next couple weeks as a community as far as where we're headed. Um, so excited about the coming days. But as well today, just as we take some time to really wind down our focus on hospitality. This has been the theme for us this spring in Eastertide and Pent- through Pentecost, this idea of the church embodying the way of Jesus through hospitality. Um, so I'm really, you know, really excited to kind of land this. Next week, we are in communities together. And listen, we know it's the long weekend. So you may, I know some communities are getting creative as far as what they're going to be doing together. We will have a live stream at 10 a.m. with some content. But we're also going to blast that content out early to the community network leaders and whatnot because it's a really great conversation that will end what we've been talking about here on Sundays between a guy named Preston Sprinkle and Chris Weinard. And they talk about a hospitable church and they just have a great conversation that will lead the content next week. But we also know that many groups will probably just be hanging out together and we actually really encourage that. So if you want to kind of uh, access that content earlier, your group leaders will send that out as a way to kind of help shape and land the plane for us. Sound good? You okay? Looking good? Good stuff. Okay. Hospitality. The simplest way to change the world. Uh, One place to start actually here for us is I will give you, and we normally do this at the beginning of our practices and teaching series, there are a few resources and we will blast these out on social media and at some point put them out in Praxis Weekly. But um, these are what I would say the four main resources that could be really helpful for you if you want to engage this in a deeper way. One is a little book by Tim Chester called A Meal with Jesus, my favorite book on hospitality. Really easy read. His thesis is basically everywhere Jesus went, he ate and drank with people, and that was his mission strategy. So it's a beautiful little book. We've been using some content by uh, a guy named Joshua Jip. He has a new, it's more of an academic book, so it's a little... Uh, It kind of runs a little deeper. It's called Saved by Faith and Hospitality. And a lot of the content we've taken from both last week and the Sodom and Gomorrah text, which was fun, and now today's teaching will be from that. There's also a little book. I don't necessarily agree with all the language in it, but it's a, a great little primer on biblical hospitality, and it's called The Simplest Way to Change the World uh, by Dustin Willis and Brandon Clements. Great little kind of, there's nuts and bolts in there if you feel like, where do I start with some of this stuff as far as kind of being hospitable towards others? Like in a practical way, it's a great book. And then uh, an awesome book came out a few years ago by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I read this a few years ago. Practicing Radical Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. Wonderful read. And I'm actually just going to show you a little video of Rosaria as she kind of gets us going for today. We live at this time where so many Christian ideas are understood as hate speech. After the Obergefell decision legalized gay marriage, that put the gospel on a collision course with the new law of the land. And I think many Christians have been struggling with, well, how do I speak? What do I do? How do I move forward? Home is a vital place to invite your neighbors in 
to have some heartfelt conversations. We can love our children together. We can let some things slide, even though the world we live in would say that we're supposed to be enemies. To me, hospitality is the ground zero of the Christian faith. I was raised in an Italian family. There were some issues in my house that made it almost impossible to have people in. So hospitality didn't really become endemic to my life until I had set up a home of my own. I was a professor at Syracuse. I lived as an out lesbian feminist in New York in our LGBTQ community. Somebody's home was open every night of the week. And there was never a question, where will I go if I need help? Because the community itself is organic and fluid, and that was how we dealt with crises. After I wrote my tenure book, I really wanted to write a book that was on my heart. Why is the religious right such a hateful community? And why do they hate people like me? I was on a war against two things, patriarchy and stupid. So I was really curious to know why relatively decent people would use the Bible in such a hateful way. So I wrote an editorial and it brought all kinds of attention my way, which I didn't really expect. But one of the things it brought my way was a letter from Ken Smith, the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. When Ken and his wife Floyd invited me to dinner, I, I was happy. I, th I thought of Ken as my unpaid research assistant. And they were fine with the fact that I, I wanted to read the Bible to critique it. That began a research journey that changed my life. But it wasn't research that changed my life. In Ken and Floyd's home, the way that they practiced hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology that they were teaching. After my first dinner at Ken and Floyd's house, Ken gave me a big hug, Floyd gave me a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. We said, we'll catch up next week. This was fun, can't wait to do it again. They did not share the gospel with me and they did not invite me to church. And that was so wonderful because what it showed to me was that they didn't see me as a project. They actually saw me as a neighbor. Now, I didn't step foot in the church for two years, but every week I was in their home. And every week, it was clear that pretty much anything could go. We could ask anything, Ken and Floyd were fine. And that process of dialogue and table fellowship was compelling. It was deeply compelling. I did not come to faith because I stopped feeling like a lesbian. It's not that I got all of my worldview issues just completely cemented with a happy Christian evangelism, not at all. I came to faith because I became convicted that Jesus is who he says he is. He 
Ephesians 4.29 is our watchword, that we are to impart grace to the hearer. I might not agree with everything that you hold to be near and dear, but because we are neighbors, I don't have to say everything that's on my heart. And you don't have to say everything that's on your heart right now. We can put some of our worldview issues aside. And over years of this, the gospel takes on a momentum that is compelling to people. I think we need to give each other the reminder that it's God who saves. It's not about certainly us being perfect or our words being perfect, but show up we must in the lives of unbelievers. What comes naturally to me and what comes naturally to you is to hang out with people who are like us. <laughs> people who can maybe finish our sentences, people who don't scare us. But hospitality, biblically speaking, takes strangers and makes them neighbors, and takes neighbors and makes them family of God. It's a great joy to see the gospel bring people together who are supposed to be enemies. And it's a great joy to know that God never gets the address wrong. And if your neighbors aren't people you know yet, there's a blessing waiting for you. So beautiful, such a great uh, picture of what hospitality is. Philozenia, right? This idea of a love for other. In a world that has a lot of xenophobia and fear of the other, the Christian community has always been this community that postures ourselves towards others in love, in love of the stranger. And this, if you read, I've been really engaging, many of you know, the last couple years, really engaging some voices, looking back to the first couple centuries of the church and how this little group of people exploded in the, in the Roman Empire, which in and, of it, in and of itself was basically a religion, Caesar worship. And this little group of Christians just exploded in house churches all over the ancient Mediterranean. It was because they were hospitable. They met in homes around the bread and cup. They took Jesus' word seriously, and they took care of people during plagues and famines and all sorts of things. They put their lives on display. It's so beautiful. Now, as I saw that this week, I honestly kind of did a little bit of an evaluation of, you know, the, like the classic verse for us is that we're called as disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. You with me? That's there. And I've been doing a lot of just thinking and reflecting on our own going into the worldness and how it's actually been working for us. Uh, I want to be careful. I worked in a church community, wonderful church community for years. And, you know, I was part of a staff there. And there were a couple people on staff that got really radical about this thing called evangelism. I remember sitting in a church gathering like you and one of the guys got up and he was really cute and kind of sarcastic about it. He put up Matthew 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he put up... Uh, in Greek beside it, the Greek translation of it on, on the screen and basically pointed and said, this is what it means. You know how sometimes when we talk about Greek words, we're trying to get to the depth of it. His point was, we're just supposed to go out and preach the gospel to every single person. And while that is true, a, a culture kind of began around street preaching and kind of confronting people on the streets, which is totally fine, not against that, but what was fascinating with these individuals, and if I have to stand before God and be judged for this, that's fine. I remember sitting in a meeting once asking this person, do you know your neighbor's name? Do you know your neighbor's name? You go to the streets every weekend. 
And the reality is he could barely tell me about the next door neighbors he had lived to for five or six years. That's a problem. As I think about our going into the worldness, and I, I think about cultures like this around evangelism, if we st- kind of sit in the wake of our post-Christian moment, and we kind of sit in the wake now of our post-COVID moment, there's really, I don't want to be negative, there's really little fruit from that if we evaluate honestly, right? And yet, the best way to embody ourselves in this idea of evangelism is through hospitality. This is what we just saw right there. Instead of creating people as the other or somebody we're against, which the church has postured itself many times, we are called to love the other. I love how Amos Young says the Christian mission is no more or no less than our participation in the hospitality of God. Beautiful. Now, you're getting the picture. This has been like eight or nine weeks. You're probably like, yeah, we got the point, right? You okay this morning? Uh, Last week we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. If you weren't here, it was fun. We looked at Abraham and Lot and how maybe Sodom and Gomorrah is not maybe what we often think about when we point to the one thing we think Sodom is judged for. It's actually, is unhospitality a word? They were not hospitable towards towards the, the divine beings, these angels that come with Lot to the city. And we even see in Abraham's story that it wasn't just allegiance, but that this allegiance set forth this idea of hospitality. Now what we're going to do is take a couple minutes and look at this guy as we wind down. Look at this guy named the Apostle Paul and how, okay, so Paul is a missionary, goes to many cities in the ancient Mediterranean, and at the end of the book of Acts, he gets on a ship with a bunch of prisoners, and they head towards Italy, towards Rome, where Paul would eventually die. Now, um, I'm not going to read, if you want to open with me, you can open up to Acts 27 and 28. I am not going to read the text. I know that's maybe, yeah, it is what it is this morning. Last week, we took a lot of time and read through Genesis 18 and 19. You just have to trust me this morning that it's there. And if you want to peek down and read it, because it's a ton of narrative, we'd be here for like an hour if we wanted to read it. And I'm sure you want, just want that. You want to be here for an hour, I'm sure. Um, but this idea of Paul going to, uh, to Rome, one of the things it shows us is how Paul was hospitable, not just to the cities in which he was going to, but Paul was hospitable with the religious other. And that's where I kind of want to end. Paul in Acts 27 and 28, it's easy for us just to kind of read through it or read over it and forget what Luke is doing as he records Paul going here. There's a couple things that are actually at play when you read Acts 27, 28. One is that Paul benefits the religious others, that his life is postured. You've got to remember, these guys that are on the ship in Acts 27 and 28, they are formed and they are shaped by Caesar worship and the empirical worship of the day. And Paul benefits not just himself as a Jesus follower, but the religious other. He also engages in friendship and meaningful relationship with non-Christians, which we'll see here in a second. And not only that, he extends and receives hospitality from non-Christians. So not only does he extend, and we'll see here as part of the story, hospitality to those outside the way of Jesus, he actually, here's what we don't think a lot about, he receives hospitality from those who are outside the way of Jesus, which is actually a posture in and of, it's a skill in and of itself for the Christian community. 
So with all that said, I'm not going to read the text, but let me just set the frame for you, okay? There are two particular groups of people or groups of people in the text here that Paul encounters in Acts 27 and 28. One is this guy named Julius, who his title was a Roman centurion of the Augustan court cohort. And I think that's actually, Luke who wrote this actually puts that title within the text, I think for one reason. One of the reasons is, is because this group, you know, the Augustine, Augustan cohort, was characterized as violent, violent people who were willing to use force against their people outside of kind of their group. And so Luke is letting us know that the name of kind of this cohort because what he's going to do is actually flip it on its head. He actually shows that this group or this person, Julius, actually shows philanthropy to Paul by allowing him to actually be cared for. If you were reading this in the Roman, Roman world and you were hearing about August, the Augustan cohort, you would be thinking about violence and terror, and yet Luke says here that they actually welcomed Paul. Philanthropy, in the, in the language here, can be translated kindness or love or humility or generosity. Later, you actually read at the end of Acts 27, they, they go on this, they're basically taking over 700 prisoners to Rome to be jailed. They have a shipwreck, and one of the things that the people that are on board, the officers on board with the, pe- the prisoners, as the ship is going down, what they want to do is they kind of want to hold these guys close or, in a sense, kill them before they kind of get away. And one of the things that happens is Julius actually showed kindness to Paul when he saves Paul and some of the other prisoners because of the dis- uh, Uh, disruptive plan that happened because of the shipwreck. And so what happens is they actually end up on this island called Malta, and what is happening here is Luke, on three occasions, actually portrays Paul with this community on the boat and through the shipwreck, offering prophecies and exhortations and encouragement to those who are on board the ship. Actually, one of the pictures Luke gives is that Paul, you got to think about it, he knows he's probably going to his death, he actually get the picture is he's a prophetic instrument for the salvation of the shipmates and takes the lead. You actually see in verses 38 and 30, uh, 33 to 38 that he takes these shipmates and he actually is the host for them in the, the turmoil of the shipwreck. This was characterized by the involvement of everyone on board. And there's a sense that this meal that they were then having was... Uh, it was basically mediating divine salvation where the prisoners are saved by sharing in this divine hospitality that Paul was giving. So Paul meets Julius, and he has this opportunity not only to receive the hospitality of Julius, but actually to turn it back in chaos and in turmoil. You following me? Looking for every... Sometimes we think of Paul as this guy that just kind of went around and kind of slammed the gospel in people's faces. He actually had a meal with these people in and amongst everything that was going on. You can read it. Then what happens is they end up on the island of Malta and Paul actually receives kindness and hospitality from these people, the Maltese islanders. He's a stranger. Luke actually refers to the Maltese as barbarians, which would have been associated with inhospitality in that moment. And so Luke sets the stage by calling them barbarians, but then he flips it on its head by saying that they showed Paul no small kindness and hospitality. Um, 
Pubulus in uh, verse 7 in, in chapter 28 says that he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. That was a pubulus on the island of Malta. What happens is because of this hospitality that Pubulus shows, Paul actually heals Pubulus' father, and it says Paul healed all the sick on the island. Crazy. He receives hospitality from these people and then responds back in the way of Jesus, and people are healed. Actually, the picture we get that Luke writes, he says, they honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. So in a sense, Paul operated with the cultural and religious logic of the islanders. He doesn't demonize their culture. He doesn't go in and try and change things. He doesn't criticize their religion and their way of life. What he did is he proclaimed and he embodied the gospel, one, as a good host, right? Over and over, Paul is doing this, offering his life as a host to others and as a good guest. Well, let's just land the plane here on these two things. The, what is Paul doing here? Just think about it. I know this is quick, Acts 27, 28, the story that unfolds in Paul's life. What is he doing? He is modeling the life of Jesus, brothers and sisters, who was a good host, welcoming people in, asking people to follow him, inviting people around the table, and Jesus, you know from the story of the Gospels, was a good host guest. I don't know about you, but from, that, uh, the, from this little video and this story of R Rosaria Butterfield and her life being changed, maybe changing the world is as simple as this, being a good host to others and being a good guest. Maybe, maybe this could be the mission strategy, not just for those on the outside, but for the religious outsider. I think it's important to note that we live in a moment where people will say, I'm not religious, right? A lot of my master's degree was focused on the church in post-Christian Canada, and the common theme is we're kind of post-religion. I'm spiritual, but not religious. But we also know that that's kind of not true. Maybe when we talk about religion in the frame of Christianity or the major world religions, that's in decline, and that's a thing, and we can talk about that. I love how, I think it was Luther or Calvin said that all of us are religious. All of us are worshiping something. If it's not the God of the Bible, then it's something else. Listen, it was, many of us walk in all sorts of communities. We see this all the time. Have you been around youth sports lately? People point to me as like the religious guy because I kind of am a part of a church community. Do you know the cult of youth sports? And by the way, I'm knees deep in it, right? I think there are some things we can critique. The academy, right? Academics, the institution, some of the things that we have set up in our very own city that we wor worship. The morning kombucha run at the, the market. All of these things. Kind of brunch mosas, right? Like the, the, the brunch culture or whatever it is in our, in our moment. There are things that we worship. What we put our time and our attention in is what we worship. And so it's not that one of us is religious and another, others of us are not. We're all religious. We all embody things that we worship. It's all about settling into this idea that as the gospel comes, we're called to be good hosts and we're called to be good guests. Now, we've talked a lot about hosting and hospitality on our end. To close, we just need to think through being good guests when outsiders offer hospitality. Because this is the thing. Sometimes we can kind of drill down on a, a practice like this in our moment and go, okay, we're supposed to be hospitality 
hospitable. Jesus was, Paul was. We see this from the very foundation in Abraham. We get it totally, right? But there's also a part of this where we need to learn as people how to be good guests. Because if you're dialed in, people are showing hospitality oftentimes from different religions or different worldviews all around us. They're showing hospitality. And we need to learn, like Paul and Malta, how to receive hospitality as messengers of the way. You following me? For a lot of us, and we know the divide, and this is getting even more crazy. Obviously, there's lots that have, has unfolded culturally this week uh, in the news with our brothers and sisters to the south, and there's lots of ideologies and lots of back and forth, right? Totally get it. But one of the things that Christians often have had a hard time doing, because we want to work from a posture of power, is we're okay with the hospitable side. Yeah, we'll throw stuff, we'll put stuff on, we'll, you know, like, the church will put, like, the, the fun fair on and invite people in, because there's a sense in which we are the ones that hold the power. You come to our thing, we tell you the gospel, you respond, right? Jesus is coming. And that, there's total truth in that. But it's interesting here in Paul's rhythm, and I, you can't escape this, in the life of Jesus, in his rhythm, they were good guests, and oftentimes, if you want to use the word evangelism, however you want to frame this, some of those moments, the best moments in which the gospel came to bear, was not through the power of hospitality and holding all the cards and holding all the chips, but actually releasing that and, and being invited into somebody else's thing. Um, there are many spiritual practices that Heather and I, and I'll speak for myself, are not good at. There are a lot of things. I think about Sabbath and trying to implement Sabbath the last number of years. Think about silence and solitude. I'm starting finally to learn how to fast in rhythm. It's hard. But there's other practices that come easier. For us, generosity, we just, uh, just an easier type of practice. And I've been thinking a lot about this particular idea of being a good guest. I feel like one of the things that I've learned, just even in our own community, is just being available and open to the party is half of what it takes in this thing called evangelism, is half of what it means, I think, even to follow Jesus in the sense of being invited into things so that we can posture our lives towards each other. It's about not just being a good host. Paul went into a different culture with a different worldview, with a different type of people that, honestly, when you think of the Christian community, could have been pushed off as the other, he let all his credentials, everything down. He let his guard down. He went in, and he was a good guest. And so I think it's appropriate to talk about this in our moment because one thing it takes for us is it just takes being aware of the things that are going on all around us. One of the places and spaces our church is going um, and has been going for a long time is just through the idea of simplicity is do we need to be running things and programs and everything all the time um, inviting people in, or what if there's actually like things in our city, in our neighborhood, and in our moments that we could be invited into as people who follow the way of Jesus? You follow me? You out there? I think if you would take notice, and this will be how we'll land the plane today. If we took notice of the things that go on around us and we're simply available to these things, this idea of hospitality may just be the simplest way to change the world. I love the fact that the last nine, eight or nine weeks, we've just been pressing into the reality 
This is not rocket science. I think of the culture that I grew up in a little bit, um, and it's, it's great. You know, going to youth camps and conventions, all wonderful. Honestly, deeply changed my life. But there was a sense in some of these moments, these big scale kind of moments that, you know, as young people, you are going to change the world. Like this is what was said of us. And there was a lot of moments around that and a lot of tears and a lot of prayer and a lot of ministry and that is all wonderful stuff. But now edging almost 40. I know you're like 40, really? Yeah, I know, I know. I'm hanging in there pretty good. 40 next year. Already got a little vacation plan to just like debrief on the fact that my life is going before my eyes. But as I think about now and I look back to those environments, it has left a lot of people unfulfilled. Because we were told we could change the world and the way we were going to do that is we were going to run big stuff and everybody was going to come. And how's that going for us? Right? How's that going for us? The way in which I think we embody this, the simplest way to change the world, is hospitality, is being a good host, opening up our lives, as we've talked, in layers to the world around us, to our church family around us, to people who are deconstructing like we've talked about, and to the religious other in our moment, which is pretty much everybody, actually, and to be a good guest to be people who embody the way of Jesus in, in love, that we say yes to the party, even when we're an introvert and it's a late on a Saturday night, you know you have to get up early for church the next Sunday morning, right? My wife says yes to all Saturday parties and I'm like dying inside sometimes. So this is, this, she's the ultimate extrovert. This is like, a, this is a stretch for me, right? It's about presenting ourselves and making ourselves available and having schedules to say, yeah, you know what? There is room to be invited into what's going on. So as we wind down, I guess the call for us, just like Paul would just be, I mean, Paul was forced into this. Your ship is wrecked, you're on an island, you're going to have to embody the culture of that moment, right? For us, it's a little easier because we have our homes and our lounges. For some of us, we have our garages where the door just goes up when you hit the thing and then it goes down and you can like drive the car in, which is pretty phenomenal. Like you can actually avoid the world. It's a little different in our moment. But the call would be just to be aware of how can we be good guests, guests at the party. And so with that, let's close with that. Take a minute, just as we come back to the tables in a minute. Turn around just for a second. Are there people in your world? What, d d as you discern, think about it. Where can you be a good guest? You've got to talk or else it's going to be awkward, okay? So take a minute, talk about it. We'll come to the tables in a second. Sound good?